Community Solar is a product that makes a lot of sense. It's a clean energy product. It's local, so it benefits the local environment. There's generally economic activity around it. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thangen, so let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host for the Solar Maverick podcast. And I'm actually really excited to have Eric Dunke as our guest today. And he's actually the CEO and founder of Power Market. And they're involved in the community solar space. They basically acquire and manage customers for community solar projects. Eric, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you being on the show. I've talked about community solar um, in previous podcasts, and it's amazing to kind of for me to see your progression as a company, we've known each other for a very long time. And, and it's crazy to kind of see the growth of community solar. Sia was saying the next several years, we'll see the U.S. community solar market at as much as three gigawatts. And can you talk about um, what power market does and community solar just in general for our audience? We've only briefly touched it in different episodes, but I think it'll be great to get your perspective and really the value that you guys are adding towards developing projects in the solar industry. So thank you. Yeah, Benoit, uh, nice to see you. It's uh I think back uh, when we met, it was what seven seven years ago or or more. More than that, uh, I can't remember exactly, but uh, it was a clean energy dinner. Yeah, it was a dinner. Yes, with uh, Jake Baker and uh, and some folks. I remember, but uh, it's nice to still be in the in the industry with you. Uh, you know, after all these years and and just participating in things. So thanks for having me. In terms of uh, the company and power market, so we're a community solar solutions provider. And we have two primary markets. So we work in uh, the utility segment or worlds, and we have a few utility clients. And then uh, we also provide services for third-party commercial solar developers. And uh, in both cases, both of those entities can pursue community solar, but uh, how they go about it and, and what needs they would have from us as a company. In some senses, they're the same, but in other senses, they're a little different. Yes. Uh, I can explain a little more about... Yeah, definitely. Uh, that would be helpful. Um, I'm curious what you actually do for your utility companies. I know you mentioned it was still, you know, in the same space, but what exactly, you know, I, I mentioned it from more of the acquisition of customers and management, but what, right. would, what do you do for your utility customers? So we typically bucket our, the services that we provide to our clients uh, into three buckets. So one is customer acquisition and kind of onboarding of customers, so the upfront piece. Second to that, uh, management of customers, so getting the customers' allocations correctly, the individual subscribers sure. to the community projects, interfacing with the utility, managing churn, essentially making sure that the the assets, the arrays, wind, solar, hydro, we, we've got uh, all of those uh, in our kind of under management, oh, if you will making sure those assets are fully subscribed and performing uh, financially as, as well as they can. And then the third bucket of services is billing and credit card ACH transactions Definitely. for customers. Now, when it comes to the utility, of course, they're uh, very good at billing and, and they do that <laughs> uh, at scale. So we would typically for a utility do kind of the first two buckets that I mentioned there. So sure. providing some digital customer acquisition for them, meaning 
standing up specific kind of web and kind of software elements, and then uh, into our CRM where we would manage what we call the system of record yes. for those customers and uh, just uh, enrolling, unenrolling, adjusting the customer's uh, sure. kind of percent participation, if you will, to the different products. So I think the onboarding, management, and billing are, uh, it's a pretty fair categorization for what we do as a company yes. in the community solar domain. Definitely. And can you talk about, for our listeners who we call Mavericks, like what is a community solar project? Like how how do you define on a basic level what it is? You know, obviously different states define community solar differently and right. how the offtake is and how many... Community solar fundamentally is uh, the way I like to describe it. It's a lot like rooftop solar. So a, a traditional residence, you might put uh, six, seven, ten, however many solar panels on your roof. The idea of community solar is that you build a much larger commercial scale array somewhere in, it has to be within the same utility service territory, sure. depending on the, the state and the regulations and everything. But then you get some economies of scale and whatnot. But then instead of having the panels on an individual roof, we subscribe that same customer to seven, 10, eight, uh, whatever it is, panels. So it's, it's fundamentally quite similar to traditional rooftop solar, but it's got certain advantages in terms of, obviously there are no panels on, on the roof. So there's some customers might uh, have some aesthetic reasons for not uh, sure. going with a traditional rooftop solution. It's quite similar, but different in some respects. Yeah, definitely. I think um, there's so many reasons why customers cannot have solar. Maybe they can't afford it. Like a residential customer, maybe their roof is not a good roof for solar. Maybe there's some shading issues. So community solar, you know, allows a wider audience to take advantage. Basically, customers subscribe to using power market as an example. And basically power market you know, manages the bill and basically there, it's a, usually through some sort of virtual net metering where basically there's an allocation of credit for those, say, seven panels that you talked about. So That's right. You know, if you have solar on your, on your residential roof, you have to pay, whether it was a local installer or Solar City or Tesla or someone like that that put those panels there, you have to pay them for that. And it's the same thing with uh, community solar. You have to pay, you know, you pay us uh, ultimately for the benefit that you receive. And then ultimately, and then we uh, pass that payment along to the solar developer. Definitely. Uh, who in turn has the, the whole finance package behind them. Sure. So that, that's the mechanism. Definitely. And uh, what states are you seeing community solar where you guys are more active? If you go actually to Power Markets website, I love how you guys have, you know, the different projects, solar projects and other renewable energy forms. And and it talks about signing up as a subscriber and how much it's subscribed. Right. See, it's a toss up at the moment between uh, Massachusetts and New York in terms of like which state is the most active. Massachusetts traditionally, I think, was kind of one of the first movers when it came to community solar. But if, if I had to put them in order, I would say the states that are most active uh, in community solar, and when we say most active, meaning that they've passed uh, enabling legislation so the utilities are forced or, you know, they, sure. they, they have to put the, uh, the net metering credits onto the, uh, the customer's bill and, and generally support yeah. community solar as a product. But uh, I think I would say Massachusetts probably uh, still the, the leader in terms of community solar activity and installations and, and all. And then behind that, New York. 
uh, and then probably Minnesota after that. Sure. And then um, Rhode Island. Actually, there's oh, interesting. A, a good bit of activity recently in Rhode Island, and then probably behind that, Maryland. Yes. Uh, and then the, I know Illinois is doing some things, and then Oregon, I know, is planning on uh, some uh, enabling legislation, and then New Jersey, I think, uh, sure. will be coming online shortly. You know, it uh, seems to be a growing market, which is good. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's a growing market, and I think it's great just because, as I said before, um, it gives access to solar to people who wouldn't have solar before. A lot of governments or politicians like community solar because it gives access to more people, and it's exciting that a lot of states are passing community solar. You mentioned that New Jersey actually has a pilot for 75 megawatts a year for the next three years, Yeah, starting mm. this year and going to 2021. That's right. So it's it's pretty exciting to kind of see that. And I was curious about if you could talk about strategies to acquire customers for these projects and dealing with churn and kind of figuring out, you know, what the drop-off is. And can you talk about the different strategies that you acquire customers because I'm sure, you know, you have a lot of different methods and right. there's also cost metric as well with how expensive <laughs> each, obviously knocking on doors versus some sort of SEO strategy, you know, SEO would obviously be some cheaper or an AdWords than a... Right. Yeah. So it's a fundamentally community solar is a product that makes a lot of sense for customers. It ought to be the easiest thing ever to sell, right? It's a, it's a clean energy product. It's uh, it's local, so it you know it benefits the local environment. There's generally economic activity around it, so it's uh, it's good for the local economy, and uh, it's almost always offered at a discount to your current utility rates. And yet, the going rate, depending on whether you're talking about a, a rural environment or an urban environment in the state, and sure the underlying costs and all, but, uh, you know, it can cost between 350 and $850 just to acquire one single customer. Wow, that's a lot. That's a, a big opportunity, right? Uh, if you just do the math, you're like, oh, I could, I could sign up 10 of my friends, yeah. uh, and pocket 8,500 bucks. Right. But, uh, when we have kind of gotten into that market and we do some customer acquisition, it turns out that, uh, it's as hard as people say it is. And, be it. Primarily, we think that it's a, a function of education, that people don't really know what community solar is, and they oftentimes confuse it with ESCO products, and uh, and they might be a little gun-shy from the reputation sure. that uh, the ESCOs have in states that uh, have competitive retail. So we, we do customer acquisition, but we prefer to work with partner organizations that you know are used to selling energy products, and, and I'll, I'll share... By and large, the way they go about uh, those sales, there's nothing uh, proprietary or secret about this, but it's uh, traditional door-to-door sales, telemarketing, direct mail, the same way that you might be sold a physical widget uh, or you know other type of thing. So we think, uh, and, I, and we're not alone, uh, I think there's a, a couple companies out there that think that there's an opportunity to apply a digital approach to customer acquisition and, and bring those costs uh, way down. Now, when people have tried to do that with uh, social media, as you mentioned, uh, keywords and, and whatnot, SEO and, and spending a lot of effort on that, it tends to be not a economically viable equation. That is, you end up spending more on your AdWords than you do in uh, or your social media 
than you do uh, in terms of uh, actual customer acquisition revenue. Sure. So we're not exactly think that we're doing it all perfectly. So that maybe there's ways that we can improve and and uh, and make that viable. But by and large, it's still a problem that someone somewhere, and we hope it's us, is is somehow going to solve. So our marketplace and some of the approaches around that is uh, one way that we think that we can kind of maybe bring those customer acquisition costs sure. down and benefit, you know, providing that service. Yeah, definitely. That's really important. And I think um, the cost of acquisition, obviously, people prefer it to be lower. So if you're able to come up with some sort of strategy online to be able to do it, that's effective and that's not costly, as you mentioned can be a huge differentiator. As you said, it'll be figured out. Just <laughs> well, or maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. You know, like uh, Esco's uh, are still selling their products with direct mail. And, you know, they've had every opportunity to embrace a digital approach. And by most measures, we see some of them doing it. But by and large, I think they still do those same, how would you say, maybe old school sure. marketing and sales techniques that I mentioned, door-to-door, direct mail, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. That's pretty interesting. It's interesting. I mean, if you think about it, like even Amazon, not that long ago, people weren't comfortable with buying things on the internet. So it'll be interesting. I feel like over time, why wouldn't people be interested in buying power yeah. off the internet? Yeah. I mean, so, the, uh, it's uh, going off on a little tangent yeah, here. I don't know if, yeah, I don't know if we're allowed to, to, yeah, we're allowed to, to, to do, go on to do that, like, but uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal two or three days ago about you know, I think it was the former CEO of NRG, David Crane, was saying that in, uh, you know, 10 or 20 years that he, in his opinion, he thinks that Amazon, Google, Apple, Tesla, someone like that, or all of the above will actually be providing the the utility kind of for the, the customer energy experience rather than the utility. And uh, from our perspective, where, where we sit, we kind of think that's true. And are, and are are always trying to kind of shift our business uh, a little bit to align ourselves with that sure. with that future. That said, I have a utility background, uh, which uh, we can speak about uh, going forward. But um, we like the incumbent industry. We're, we're trying our best to provide solutions for them. We we you know we have several utility clients, and and we hope that they are the ones that ultimately win the day. But uh, th- they're going to have to start to hustle, I think, a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Going back, um, usually, like, what's the term of the contracts usually for this uh, and that would get investors comfortable? I know in deregulated markets, people are used to third-party energy suppliers when they don't obviously have to have a long-term offtake. It usually for a residential customer could be like a year or less. Usually it's a year. Um, obviously, like, investors prefer longer-term contracts. They ideally would love like a 20-year contract, but it seems from having residential offtake for community solar that you have to have a lower term of contract to get the customer right. interested. Um, yeah, so we see, uh, I mean, it, it has evolved a little bit in the three or four years that we've been in this industry, but it's, yeah, so at the moment there are active uh, kind of projects that we're managing and acquiring and, and just in, engaged with where... They have a 20-year term and uh, a fairly arduous contract, uh, complete with uh, exit fees and things of that nature. And then, and then at the same time, in parallel, we're, we're selling uh, 
and involved with and managing projects where there's you know no term or maybe it, maybe it's a, something very agreeable like a, a year contract or sure. something like that. But ultimately, I think that you know how that kind of shakes out depends on the, the developer that's offering the products and how I don't think it has to do with sophistication necessarily, but it's just simply like where their capital is coming from and what uh, terms the financiers are, are placing on uh, on the financing sure. that's provided. But so to answer your question, uh, we see a wide range, but, uh, you know, three to five years is maybe kind of a standard contract length sure. with fairly minimal, uh, you know, exit, exit, fees. exit fees. Yes. Oh, that, that's really helpful to understand. You know, it's interesting, uh, like, for example, in New York, and I know, Eric, we spoke about this a little bit before the podcast interview, you know, New York has like a way of valuing net metering, specifically community solar, yeah. through VETER, which is the value of distributed energy resources. And there's like four or five different components yeah. to the equation. How do you make sure that the billing is actually correct? Because there's like, you know, these different sort of components. And <laughs> yeah, we, uh, so I'm glad you didn't ask about the VETER stack because uh, <laughs> so, some, of, some of our the team that works with us, Sam and Nick and Jason and the group uh, and others, uh, those guys have their finger on the pulse of uh, VEDER and how it's changing and how it can be applied and all the nuance there. So I, I, I tend to stay out of those conversations uh, <laughs> as, much as, I, as much as I can. But in terms of the, the billing, ultimately tends to be somewhat simple in that there's the host meter that uh, the array is attached to and then uh, the individual, they're often called satellite accounts, and then uh, and the utility, when they're kind of able to do it, they'll apply the kilowatt hours to that array. And then uh, it's pr fairly simple math of, uh, you know, whatever the allocation that that customer had, then we, uh, we just build a customer based on that. Now, there can be different products that we're selling. So there's, uh, we sell sometimes rate protection products. Uh, so there, there's a kind of a certain billing uh, equation and algorithm that uh, is associated with those products for when we build those customers. And then, you know, there's the percent discount model, which is sure. pretty popular and different percent discounts. So billing is in these markets is, uh, has always been kind of our, the strength of what we're doing and software generally, you know, we, we consider ourselves a software company, but uh, I, I am uh, happy to say that we, uh, we've built, uh, you know, in excess of, uh, uh, a million dollars uh, in community solar transactions, and we've never had a mistake. It's difficult on one hand, but not difficult, not so difficult that uh, you know we're we're messing it up. Definitely, I mean that sounds amazing, and uh, that's pretty interesting. It's interesting too that you see yourself as a technology company, which obviously, I think that also actually goes back to your background because yeah. you do have a technology background before you started the company. You did work at a utility at PSCNG. Can you talk about um, your background and what got you interested in <laughs> solar and in renewable energy? Yeah, I mean, it was the solar. dinner when we met. Uh, <laughs> was it, was were, it more were, than seven years ago? It was more than seven years because you were at PSCNG, I what? think, at the time. Maybe, I guess, yeah. Yeah, eight, nine, huh? Eight, nine oh, years ago, yeah. Time flies. It's crazy how. Yeah, so the, I mean, the story that uh, I always tell in terms of uh, starting the company is that I spent at least 10 years, probably we'll say 15, 20 years in as a software engineer earlier on in my career. And then when I moved to New York, I spent uh, 10 years you know, working in the financial services industry, Morgan Stanley, Bank of New York, uh, this company called Dresdner Bank and sure, Commerce Bank. These, yeah. yeah, the German banks. 
And then I went to graduate school under the premise, so I'll try, I'll try to make this brief, under the premise at the time was like 2007-ish that there were going to be these carbon markets and, uh, you know, we're going to be trading carbon. And, and I was like, oh, well, let's, you know, let's see what that's about. Rather than writing software and systems to, to trade fixed income products, let's do this carbon thing and a little bit more altruistic pursuits. Sure. And uh, so I finished graduate school in 2009 when the global economy was absolutely tanking. And uh, there was no one hiring in the, in the clean energy industry apart from the utilities. So I, I took a job with PSENG, helping to manage the uh, renewable energy group. So we had uh, solar loan products and energy efficiency products, demand response, and I was a program manager there. And in seeing all of that, and then with my background, I said, holy cats, this industry that the <laughs> utility industry needs the software architectures and techniques sure. that we had in the financial services industry where, you know, the risk system is talking to the accounting system, talking to Definitely. the P&L system, to the settlement system, and all of that uh, works works together and worked well. So uh, looking at kind of distributed generation and kind of the winds of change, the things that I had been exposed to in graduate school, I was like, there ought to be an opportunity to build out some systems for this this clean energy industry. So that's uh, that's really the... That was the impetus for the company. So, and it, it really defines our DNA in that we've got consider ourselves kind of fifty percent uh, software and technology, and then fifty percent utility kind of know how and sure. uh, experience. Interesting. Yeah, that's a great story. It's a kind of interesting to see your path. You, you kind of actually answered a few of the questions <laughs> that I was going to ask. Um, everyone talks about in business about pivots. Has the company gone through any pivots in the four and a half years that you've been in business? Yeah. So, so I am the last, you know, I, I am not a salesperson. And when you start a company as an entrepreneur, and I, I had no experience in that, thankfully, I got some help from, uh, you know, some of the folks that you know, in, in the industry and, and sure. the place where we are here now, the, the Urban Future Lab. But right out the gate, I was like, I'm, I'm coming from the utility industry. I'll just turn around and sell this product that I had kind of built, which was, uh, it was, um, you know, kind of a, a generic platform to kind of support not any kind of clean energy technology that a utility would offer, but a solar product or an energy efficiency product. I kind of built the building blocks of that. And I, my, my intention was to go back to them and say, hey, this will solve all the problems that I was seeing uh, sure. in my day-to-day -day job when I was there. And then I, I very quickly realized a couple of things. One is that three things will say. It's, it's very hard to do sales. It's extremely hard to do sales to the utility industry. I definitely. <laughs> I, I, I remember I am not, you telling me about this, by uh, the way. And I learned that I am a very bad salesman also. And then uh, one of the other crucial things uh, I learned, and this, this had to be kind of taught or, you know, that was part of the process of being an entrepreneur is that you have to offer something very specific when you're starting a company. So I looked around the industry and uh, at this time there was, you know, a person or two kind of joining the, the company and kind of sharing the, the vision a little bit of sure. applying some technology into this field. And we looked around and we said, community solar, it's perfect. It supports the traditional business model of, you know, delivering uh, power across the grid, which is their asset to the customer's meter. They ought to be getting on board with it. So the first iteration of the company, and it wasn't an iteration, but it was just uh, six months when we were out there in the marketplace trying to sell. And we were like, you know, that, then we very quickly pivoted to, you know, being very you know, hyper-focused on 
community solar and uh, as an entrepreneur, I've learned that that's an absolute necessity. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great point, you know, is really kind of focusing and not on one thing and being, you know, the expert in it than trying to do a million different things because that takes away. At some point, uh, maybe we'll get back to that vision of, you know, coupling a community solar product with a thermostat product and some of the underlying software and whatnot that would go along with that. But for the moment, uh, we're we're very happy and, and focused on providing community solar solutions for our clients. Definitely. And what trends are you seeing in community solar? It's just obviously like Minnesota, there's been a lot of community solar development. Massachusetts, you mentioned before, New York seems to be an upcoming market. We're seeing, you know, more and more projects being installed in New York. It took some time for community solar. Can yeah. you talk about what trends? I, it's, uh, it's, as you asked the question, nothing like pops to mind. Sure. I, I think, uh, Maybe the trends that might be occurring is just that there's maybe community solar as a, as a product, as a thing, is starting to kind of gain a little momentum. Yeah. But I, I'm not seeing any, and then, you know, the, the obvious things that we spoke about, that uh, contract terms are getting a little bit more favorable. Definitely. But I'm, I'm not seeing any kind of uh, specific trends or anything that's uh, especially exciting or anything that's accelerating within community solar Definitely. itself, apart from the entire product yeah. or the, the market kind of benefiting from a little bit of, I don't know if you call it tailwind or sure. mind you, it's, it's a, it's a slog uh, every day. So I, maybe that's not the right term to use, but I don't know. Do you, do you yeah. see any trends? Uh, I mean, you, you know, the industry pretty well. Is there anything that comes to your mind yeah. as you ask that question? I think uh, you mentioned one of it. Um, the term of contract is becoming less and less. You can't really get customers to sign a 20 year contract, especially in deregulated markets, when they're not comfortable. People are being more flexible on exit fees, I feel like. Yeah, that that stuff, I think, is true. And then um, I think uh, what you're seeing, too, is community solar projects, governments requiring like a low-income component to it. So, Mm -hmm. for example, in the New Jersey pilot, they have a low-income component and I think Maryland as well in their pilot program too. I could be wrong. About I think that. I think all the states certainly mention it in the in the enabling legislation. There, there's an interesting point there. So the and, and community solar has been framed right as as a bit of a solution when it comes to uh, low income uh, you know subscribers or participants in in clean energy generally. What we see surprisingly or maybe not surprisingly is that. The majority of the customers, you know, that we have under management or in our portfolio, individual subscribers, they tend to be high-income individuals or, or households uh, in wealthy suburban uh, yeah. neighborhoods. And then the reason for that is that the customer acquisition agents, they're typically paid on a, you know, not on an individual customer, sure. on an individual sale, but on the size of that customer's energy usage. Definitely. So they say, look, uh, I can sell five individual apartments or, you know, apartment owners or city dwellers, or I can go up uh, into a much wealthier neighborhood Definitely. and get uh, an individual sale. So the, the, the credit requirements and things that Community Solar was supposed to solve in terms of uh, allowing low-income subscribers and participants to take advantage of that product has uh, been thwarted a little bit by the fact that it's just uh, more lucrative for the customer acquisition agents to go after 
bigger, wealthier customers. Definitely. That, that, is, that is a pretty interesting insight that I didn't even know of. You know, it's interesting too, actually, like we're developing um, a 1.25 megawatt project with NYCHA. And really, it's also too, how do you define like low income? Right. Like, for example, mm-hmm. in New York, a household making under 95000 is considered low income because the cost of living in Manhattan is obviously more expensive than a lot of areas in the country. So it's kind of interesting. And it's interesting, the fact that makes sense by the customer agents who are incentivized by closing bigger projects based right. and that they'll do that. But that's interesting. I never heard yeah, that before. Yeah, I think it's an outcome that uh, no one really saw coming when they put together community solar as a as a product or you know shared renewables, whatever, uh, CDG, whatever you want to call it. But uh, it's definitely something that we're seeing. And, you know, so one thing that is happening, and therefore, I think, is that there has to be a little bit more specific carve-outs in terms of the, the policy and whatnot in order to serve that, those low-income folks, which is, uh, as you're saying, you're seeing a little of that in some of the newer states that are coming online, Maryland and Rhode Island and, and others. Sure. I was also going to ask you, we talked about pivoting, and then another thing, too, is uh, you changed the name of the initial name of the company from Project Economics to Power Market. <laughs> Can you talk about a little bit? And that goes into kind of like pivoting the business as well. Yeah. So first of all, Project Economics is uh, was a, a terrible name, uh, <laughs> in, in my opinion. And anyone that's started a company and been forced to, in, in fairly short order, come up with a name knows that it can be a little bit difficult sometimes to come up with a name. So there was that element that we kind of wanted to change the name anyway. But what was happening within the business is that, you know, for our first uh, couple years, yeah, given my background in the utility industry, we were very focused on trying to sell to that market segment. And we, as the kind of third-party solar developer market came online, we recognized that, okay, we're going to kind of need a customer-facing element to our business. So project economics, the point there was always B2B kind of sales. So we didn't, of course, uh, name is important, yeah. uh, but, <laughs> we, but we realized that uh, we needed to kind of change our brand and, and our strategy. And, and it's been great. So, I mean, that was probably a year and a half ago that we kind of transitioned away from Project Economics, or maybe it was only a few months, six months ago or yeah, so. Yeah, six months ago. Yeah, the time. I think you had a separate power market website, Project Economics. Right. Now everything flows right. to the power market. So when we wanted to start to do more customer-facing things and acquiring customers for, you know, certain developers uh, just don't have a brand ambition, we realized that there was an opportunity there to kind of create a brand and to get some exposure to customers in, in the market. So we, we went forward with that. And then we would be in meetings and, and everyone would be inquiring, like, are you guys power market? Are you project economics? And uh, we just decided to do away with project economics and just become a power market. So yeah, it's, uh, and ultimately the concept of marketplaces resonates uh, with utilities, with people. So the, you know, we, we did put a, a good bit of thought into, in particular, into the name. And, you know, we'll see how that, evolves going forward definitely that's really interesting and i also was curious too um obviously being a technology business you know you've developed a pretty sophisticated platform how did you go about raising you know money for starting your company i mean i know 
congratulations. I know like I knew you've won like grants from the Department of Energy and yeah. and been able to raise money that way. What advice would you have for someone, you know, you're a technology oriented company? Yeah. I could say a few things about that, but uh, I've said, uh, you know, I'm not the, I'm, you know, I'm not a sales kind of person that, that hasn't been my, you know, something that I pursued in my career, nor something I'm particularly good at, although, although maybe I'm getting better. But uh, what I am good at is, uh, you know, building software applications and architecting them and consider myself a fairly elite software engineer. So I was able to build uh, on my own evenings and weekends, the first iterations of the platform and actually you know, we were able to get uh, initial revenue just from that uh, kind of bootstrap. Sure. Uh, oh, it's amazing. Bootstrapping, you know, way to go about it. And then with a little bit of market traction, we applied for a couple grants. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I think a lot of people do, we missed maybe the first couple grants that we went after. But eventually, uh, you know, if you if you just continue to apply yourself and you listen to the market and and you're you're agile and 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 somewhat smart about it. Uh, sure. you know, there's, there's money available in particular in the clean energy industry. So we, we got, uh, a $1.15 million grant from the department of energy, which, uh, certainly helped and kind of got us over the, what do they call it? The, uh, valley of death or the chasm, uh, you know, uh, yeah. to go from that first year and then to carry into the, to the third year. But at this point we're cash flow positive and things are going uh, really well within the business. I think we'll be kind of growing a little bit uh, here going forward, which is good. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's exciting. That's to kind of hear how you're able to first start the business and the funding that you received and that, you know, your cash flow positive. That's huge. Congratulations, Eric. And it's, it's amazing. It's been, it's been, a, it's been a struggle. I mean, let, let's, uh, <laughs> let's be honest. But uh, yeah. it has been uh, pretty exciting. I've heard other entrepreneurs say that, you know, it doesn't really feel like work when, when the challenge in front of you is is as big as it is. And so there's some upside to it in, in that regard. Definitely. And we're coming to the end of the interview, and I have one more question. This kind of, you talked to, alluded to it a little bit. Obviously, this show's not just about solar, but entrepreneurship. Uh, you founded Power Market. What suggestions do you have for someone starting the company? <clears throat> now that you've been in it for five and a half years, most businesses, they say 50% of all businesses fail after five years. You know, it seems like, you're building a lot of great momentum. I'm excited to see like how many different projects that you guys are working on. And then, you know, when I hear customer management and acquisition companies, you guys are kind of the first company that I hear. Appreciate that. Thanks. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I mean, I won't say the cliche thing that you always hear is that you just have to persist and be persistent sure. and, and keep at it. I think there's an element of that to being an entrepreneur and, and navigating all that, I, I would say if you can take the time to do it, that if you can align your career ambitions, so your your full-time, you know, kind of day job with where you want your entrepreneurial interests, you know, to kind of head and, uh, and then maybe kind of ramp down the day-to-day work and then kind of, you know, ramp up your own thing and possibly... So uh, I, I guess I would say that, like, you sure. know, if there's a graduate degree that you could... Uh, yeah swing into it. The, the thing that I've seen over and over again is people that like extremely talented people that might get uh, an MBA and they're, they're extremely polished uh, salesmen and speakers and uh, how do you say just, uh, you know, impressive individuals from a business perspective, but they don't re- and, and they'll go on and tackle an industry that they might not have all that much experience in. 
And uh, I think those folks can oftentimes raise uh, money and, and kind of generate a lot of uh, excitement behind the idea. But ultimately, I think the, the thing that makes a successful entrepreneur more than anything is uh, just experience. Experience in the industry, know-how, contacts, all of that. So to, to the extent that you can start to put that together in your career as it exists before you step out, uh, I think that'll be uh, a good way to, to go about it. Sure, that's great advice, and that kind of goes back to your having a very technical background. You know, so working it's what, it's what, it's what worked for me. So I, I, I don't know. That's, that's all. I agree with you as that's well. That's all I can before, say. Really, yeah. Before I started my company, I had energy experience. Uh, yeah, I was I, I was at Solar City, Tesla, then Vanguard Energy Partners, then Ridgewood Renewable Power, and Deloitte and Touche. You know, I thought of another question. You mentioned that you developed the the platform, the initial platform. For power market or project, I don't know. did you do that while you had a full time job? Because you were talking about nights and weekends. Not so much the development of it, the actual like you know building the software, but certainly getting into the the ecosystem and going to events and sure. meetups and in our industry in particular, there's things like the Clean Tech Open and there's quite a few resources for folks to kind of start to give it consideration. So I did, I was participating in those things, mm-hmm. uh, which is just natural, right? If you're working at a utility in the renewable energy department uh, to show up at those events, it made, made a lot of sense, both from my you know, existing career and then also in terms of like maybe looking for opportunities and, and things to pursue. Definitely. That's pretty interesting. If people wanted to learn more about Power Market, where's the best way that they could find information or so uh, I guess our website. So I mean, sure. you can uh, you can give uh, you know our team a call, but uh, our website, which is powermarkets.io, and there you'll see our marketplace for community solar, uh, which is you know something that we're keen on. Uh, you know, it's it's in a, a version 1.0 uh, state as it is, but it's something that we're keen on developing and, and possibly white labeling for utilities and and so on. And then we've got a solutions side to the company which is more for uh, the, the utility side and folks that, uh, you know, bigger ESCOs and whatnot that we would want to provide solutions to. And that's solutions.powermarket.io. Sure. Uh, you, can, you can find some information there. Well, Eric, this was an amazing interview. I felt like uh, there was a lot of interesting insight about your company, Community Solar, customer acquisition management trends, entrepreneurship, your story, Thank you uh, for being on the podcast. And my, my pleasure, Benoit. Uh, and uh, look forward to seeing you and uh, possibly collaborating. We, we, have to, we have to make that happen. Yeah, definitely. I know we've collaborated briefly on some things. And definitely, I feel like there's a lot of ways we can. And, you know, it's all about, I think you as well in business, it's all about working with, you know, obviously people who uh, have the same sort of value systems and, you know, add value. But then, you know, you have a good sort of working and personal relationship I found to be the most successful relationship yep. so you know and it all started at a, at a networking dinner eight or nine that's years right. ago when I first met Eric that's so, right appreciate great. it yeah thank you again and thank you for everyone listening to the podcast talk to you soon bye thank you so much for listening If this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes and Stitcher Radio and leave us a five-star review. That helps us build this community, and that's what we're all about right now, building this community as big as we can to deliver as much value as we can. 